Today we're, we're back in the Red Letter series, which if you remember, Red Letters means the words of Jesus. And most Bibles, or a lot of Bibles, I shouldn't say most, a lot of Bibles, they have Red Letters that you can read just for the words of Jesus. And uh, I, want you, I want to reintroduce you to my friend here, uh, the stick figure man, which I don't know if you remember him, but this was from an October series we did called Holiness and Wholeness. And it was all about being in uh, complete connection with God and others, creation, and yourself. Living the balance out that God created us to do. And if you remember uh, all the way back that the first thing that was severed, the first relationship was the relationship with ourself when the serpent uh, severed that relationship, which caused all the others to fall. That's important because today, the, the big point is God wants restoration. God wants to restore you. That's the big point we're talking about today. So the stick figure man could be you, it's me. That's where we should be getting to. Okay. Now to the scripture. This is a long piece of scripture today, but it's important because it tells two stories. So if you want to turn where in Mark 1, verse 40 through chapter 2, verse 12. It's in the Bible app if you want to go there and find the live uh, East Toledo campus service going on or you can follow along up here on the board or pull out your Bible and read there. <clears throat> okay. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men, some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat with the man that was, the, the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was the what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. The word of the Lord. <clears throat> so we get two healing stories here. 
This happens a lot in the Bible. They use two stories to illustrate a point and there's similarities and there's differences. There's two here. There's the healing of the man with leprosy and then there's the healing of the man that is paralyzed. So let's first, let's talk about some of the similarities between the two stories. Both of them had instant healing. God spoke or Jesus spoke. They were healed. Both of them had compassion shown by Jesus. There is faith a lot of it in both stories. One is by the leper himself and the other one is faith by the friends of the paralyzed man. Jesus, for completing such an amazing miracle, was pretty low key in both of them, trying not to draw attention to himself. Now here are some differences. Jesus touched the leper and he did not touch the man that was paralyzed. The faith of the leper alone, the, le- the leper alone healed him, and the faith of the friends healed the paralyzed man. There was instructions to the leper to go to the priests and be uh, ceremoniously cleansed, and there was no such instruction given to the man who was lowered through the ceiling. Okay, so some. Some comparing and some contrasting in the stories. These are important differences, uh, at least I think so, and I hope you do too. But let's talk real quick about some of the nuances of these particular people that were healed in the time uh, of this story. First, the leper, the man with leprosy. Does anybody here know... uh, Anything about people with leprosy in the biblical times? They were outcasts. Oh. Nobody wanted to touch them. They'd live outside the city by themselves. Very good. They had to. In fact, it was so bad that if you were walking down the street and you had leprosy, that you had to shout unclean, unclean, and walk on the other side of the road. So you had to like actually announce it, even if they wouldn't have known by passing. <clears throat> to be cleansed of leprosy. So the leprosy that we know today, here's a little science fact. The leprosy that we know today is very specific and it, it takes away like your, your limbs and stuff. But leprosy back in the biblical times could be any number of skin conditions, which is important because you could be healed from leprosy. That's why there's a ceremonious uh, uh, ritual for cleansing. If you look in Leviticus and you want to see the arduous process of getting cleansed and being cleared by a priest to say you were healed, check out Leviticus because it's like an eight-day, nine-day process and lots of animal sacrifices and throwing blood around and all the gory stuff. But you were still outcast until you were declared clean. Very long time. Okay, let's talk about the paralyzed man. What do you know about people who were paralyzed or who had any sort of uh, physical ailment in biblical times? You were a beggar, yeah. You couldn't support yourself. You couldn't really have a job or feed your family. Yeah. Again, people walked by them all the time. They were beggars. They sat outside the temples. The one story we see... But it's also something very interesting to note, and I think this plays into the healing part, is that people who had physical ailments oftentimes were thought, of to, uh, were thought to have sinned previously 
whether it's themselves who sinned and angered God or somebody in their family who angered God. There's a story, you know, they ask Jesus, who sinned? Was it the man or the family, the, the blind man? Well, people who were paralyzed, they often thought that uh, it's because they did something wrong. That's not a good thinking. You should not think that, that because you have a physical ailment that you did something wrong or your parents did something wrong. But that was a prevalent thought during these times. And again, unable to care for themselves. What's Another interesting thing about the story, I think, is that he had friends. He had at least four friends who were willing to carry him across town or wherever, out into the country, and then dig a hole through a roof of somebody's house that probably wasn't Jesus's or any one of the four friends, dig a hole, and then lower him down, and then just see what, you know, just wait and see what happens. Those are some pretty dedicated friends. I don't know if you have any friends like that. I mean, I have friends that I got in trouble with, and that I don't think we've ever dug through any roofs, though. I just can't imagine the scene sitting in there teaching. Like, could you imagine stuff falling from the ceiling right now? Like dust and crumbs and parts of the ceiling hitting me in the forehead as I'm teaching. And then everybody looks up and there's this guy coming down on a mat. Just hoping. Just hoping and hearing that the, the faith or the power of Jesus is enough to heal the man. The leper was able to walk right up to Jesus. And earlier, remember we said, if you were a leper, you had to walk across the street or the road or far away and yell, unclean, unclean. This man was able to walk right up to Jesus and say, if you were willing, heal me. Any other person this happened to easily could have had this man killed. They didn't mess around in the Old Testament, Right? You did something real bad, you were removed from society. Stoning maybe is probably the popular, the way back then. But he walked right up to Jesus, who we learned from the welcome and word passage was so popular that he had to go by himself and just get away from the crowds. He said, if you were willing, and Jesus said, I am willing, and he was healed even after walking up to him, which has had to be very bold and required so much faith, he still submitted to the will of God. He still said, if you are willing. I think there's something very, uh, I think we can learn a lot from that little part right there. That we can have the faith that we believe that God can move mountains and do anything and heal anything, but still, still say if you were willing. Jesus does the same thing. When he was blameless and sinless and went to pray before he went to the cross and said, if, it's, if this is the cup you want me to drink, let your will be done. And then Jesus heals by touching. By touching a man that has a skin condition that was probably very contagious. That's probably just the icing on the cake for this guy. <clears throat> it was bizarre enough that the man walked up to Jesus. And it was even more bizarre that he touched the man. My guess is this is the first human touch that this person has received in a really long time. I mean, if you think about going through the day, how many times you touch other people, which might be a weird experience if we keep in a tally. Like, I touched you one, touched you two. But like, I, I hug my kids 
as much as I can. I kiss my wife. I shake hands. I hug people. I just take it for granted. We are designed for relationships. And if relationships are cut off, to be touched by somebody who can heal you is, is so powerful. Then we have the paralyzed man. So we have the, the individual faith of the leper who just believed that if he walked up to Jesus, he was going to do something amazing to him. We have the paralyzed man who comes with four friends. Jesus looks up and he says, by your faith, you are healed. I think we see a lot of times the amazing stories of healing by Jesus are people who try to get to him by any means necessary. They just fight their way. They climb up on top of a tree. They touch the hem of his robe. They break social norms. They risk infection and death. They dig through ceilings. Faith. Faith. And Jesus recognizes the faith of these people. And through that faith, the unwillingness to concede defeat and believe in something way bigger than themselves heals them. The paralyzed man and probably the friends needed to know that this guy's sins were forgiven before he was even physically healed. That's the order the healing goes in. Your sins are forgiven and now you can walk. They needed to know that there was power in Jesus' words before he demonstrated it on earth. And he rebukes the people, right? He rebukes the crowd for believing that they needed to see something physical and amazing to happen in the world to believe that this was really the Son of God. And I wonder, and I ask this question in our prep, and we will never know, I mean, if the people never questioned Jesus and his forgiving of sins, would this man be walking? I mean, it wasn't until after the, the people were questioning who God was, questioning who Jesus was, that Jesus was like, you know what? You want me to prove it to you? Get up and walk. And then people were amazed. And then people were amazed. How often do we look for physical signs and uh, actual things happening in our lives as proof that God is real? and that God is powerful. How much of our faith is shaped by seeing as opposed to what faith is, which is belief in the unseen. So what does this really mean for us? It means a lot of things. It means that God, God knows exactly what we need to be restored completely. The man with leprosy needed interaction, he needed touch, and he needed a skin ailment removed. And my guess is it's probably in that order. The paralyzed man needed to know that his sins were forgiven. And then he needed to be able to walk. He needed to know first that it was not his fault. He was probably living with guilt all his life about something that you know, he did not even do. We know we're supposed to be balanced. We're supposed to look like Mr. Stick Figure Man, 
complete with a healthy relationship of ourself, a healthy relationship with God, a healthy relationship with other people, and a healthy relationship with creation. We are never meant to be out of relationship with God, but in a fallen world and in a fallen people, we will be. So my question is, how does this change our prayers and conversations with God? Are we asking too little of God? Are we asking for surface things? Paul writes it, I think, the best in Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. What do we need to be made whole? The examples here are easy to identify because they are physical examples. A man with leprosy is healed. A man who is paralyzed walks. Other stories, a man who is blind can see. Other paralyzed people can walk. And those are physical restorations but only after emotional and faith restoration has taken place. We're gonna spend the last few minutes with prayer. I'm gonna tell you this, God can handle your requests. God can handle your hurt. God can handle your shortcomings, your angers, your sadness, your joy. Do not sell yourself short in asking God to restore you to the image that he has created for you. You know, I spent all summer, well, most of the summer and uh, up until, even now I have a little bit of back pain, but asking for a healthy back and asking to be healed and being able to move freely and do all this crazy stuff that I used to be able to do, play subpar uh, softball and even worse golf. And Maybe that's not the question I should have been asking. Maybe the question I should have been asking is, why are you slowing me down? Where in my life do you need to point out something else that I need to be made whole? because my back was just a physical symptom, probably of being overbooked and overcommitted and just doing too much stuff. And if you genuinely need physical healing, I mean, pray for it. But don't stop there. Don't forget about the emotional side of your life. Don't forget about being restored to a relationship with God or yourself. Because the physical thing is only on the outside. Ask yourself, what are you trying to teach me in this moment? I was thinking of a list of where physical needs may be the very last thing on the list that we need healed. 
And we see it all the time in society. We see people with, with eating disorders that say you just need to eat more so you can be healthy and put on a healthy weight. But really, what's the underlying problem? Not the eating disorder itself, but something mental that's in there. We see people who get plastic surgery who think they're going to be, be happier in life when really they need love and acceptance and touch. For me, a close one is people who recover from an injury in the military where they have limbs removed or great physical damage and their body looks whole and complete, but they're battling emotional scars and emotional battles inside that nobody can ever know about. Where do you need restoration at? 